Thank you for listening to a Quiet Church Showmans. This is Jared Sparks, one of the pastors at Christ Church Carbondale. We want to thank you so much for listening, as Ransom said, my son. And we ultimately hope that these are God-honoring. And because they are God-honoring, we hope that they are also edifying and encouraging and, and challenging to you in the best sort of way. Thanks so much for listening. Romans chapter 11. Now, we've been uh, taking a walk through Romans for some time now. And by the way, I don't always title sermons, but I feel it necessary this time. Um, the title of the sermon is Mercy for All. Mercy for All. So, I've been dealing with some difficult truths lately about concerning the church and Israel. And regardless of what you think, um, the Bible is very clear, even when it doesn't appear to be clear to us. Okay? God's Word has a certain truth to communicate, and we are to at least attempt to discern what is written. Some passages may seem easier to understand, while others are more difficult. But when we look at this passage, we must remember that the problem of interpretation doesn't lie with God's Word. It's us. So, God is clear. God has spoken. He's given us His Word. We need to rightly divide it. So, let's go ahead and read Romans chapter 11, 25 through 36. Paul, lest you be wise in your own sight, I want you to understand this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved, as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish in godliness from Jacob. And in this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they are enemies of God for your sake. But as regards election... They are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Oh, the depths and the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God! How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways! For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been His counselor, or who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, thank You for this Word. Thank You for getting gathered this morning and worship you. And we just ask that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear, to understand um, what we're going over today. And we love you for this word. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, look at the beginning of verse 25. Lest you be wise in your own sight. Um, I don't want to spend too much time on this, especially I got told... Uh, you got to hurry up because people want to eat, and we already don't have enough time, but um, bear with me. So a healthy reminder when studying uh, uh, any passage of Scripture, let alone these more difficult ones, is that we don't believe we have understanding because of our own wisdom, right? It's not a matter of how uh, smart or intelligent uh, we may be. Some of the smartest, most intellectual people out there cannot understand God's word because they don't have eyes to see or ears to hear. 
So when you understand doctrine, you must, you must also understand that God has given you that ability to comprehend it. He's opened your mind of the scriptures to understand. So lest we be wise in our own sight, or think we've figured out this passage entirely, or you know, even this for that matter, um, by our own wisdom, that's just simply not true. So a couple Proverbs. Um, Proverbs 26, 12, do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. Uh, you, you don't want to be lauded with the fools. Right? That's not, not good. Read Proverbs. Uh, for the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Proverbs 2.6. And then Daniel 2.21, talking about the Lord. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. And finally, in James chapter 1.5, 5, the one we... Most of us may know, if, you, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. If you understand the teachings of the Bible, then praise God, he has given you understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Right. In all your ways acknowledge him, he'll make your ways straight, paths straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. So, now that we've got that down, we need God's wisdom to understand this. Uh, continuing in verse 25. Paul tells us that he does not want us to be unaware of this mystery. And the word mystery means properly what is concealed, what is hidden, or unknown. However, when the word is used in the New Testament, it is usually referring to a mystery revealed. Okay? And Paul doesn't want us to be unaware of what has been revealed. And, and, and so this teaching, I believe, the division between Jew and Gentile, which we've been covering since opening the book of Romans, was at the time of Paul's writing of this letter being revealed. Okay? By the Spirit of God, Paul has been revealing the relationship between Jew and Gentile and God's work of saving his beloved people out of the nations of the earth. Look at the passage again. So, a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Okay. I believe, and scholars disagree about this, preachers, whoever, but I believe that this passage is speaking of ethnic Israel. Okay? As Jared has been taking us through this passage, he explained last, last week the differences in the election of Israel. Israel was God's chosen nation, but out of that national choice by God of the nation, not all of Israel was guaranteed to salvation. A while back we went through the book of Jude. And uh, I think it would do well to remember things like this. Uh, Jude 5, now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Those were Israelites, right? Not all Israelites had saving faith. Not all of them trusted God. God doesn't save people according to your flesh or your ethnicity. New Testament is very clear about this. Israel, the nation, had those who were obedient by faith. In Romans, this phrase, obedient from the heart, right? And those who were not. So you can think of today, you can think of the visible church who... Everyone that statistically claims to be a Christian. Um, and then you can think of the invisible church, 
the true church, the ones that are among us that actually believe, and I agree with Jared, I think the majority of this building is full of Christians. So praise God for that too. Um, that's the short version. If you want a more exhaustive understanding of that, you need to go back and listen to Romans 9 through 11, the sermons we've got on that. So this partial hardening, let's talk about that for a second. Partial, what's that mean? So hardening refers to Jews that were and are, I believe, rejecting Jesus as the Messiah. So some Jews come to faith in Christ. What do we call them? Messianic Jews. Why? Because they trust Jesus as Messiah. They acknowledge him as Messiah. And that's wonderful. But currently, not all Jews are going to believe the gospel. They're not. But it's not as though, I, I want to clear this up because this is confusing. It's not as though there are people in the world who want to believe in God and they just can't. Okay? There's, nobody's running around like, I really want to believe in Jesus, but I just can't. That's, that's not happening. In the book of Exodus, we, we read about Pharaoh not letting the Israelites go. There are sections of scripture that say that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Okay? And then there are sections of Scripture that say that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. So who hardened Pharaoh's heart? Okay. Yes. Yes. So then, Romans verse 18, uh, Romans 9 verse 18. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. Okay? When God hardens people, God's not giving them something that they don't want. He just removes his grace and allows nature to take its course. Romans chapter 3, there are none righteous, no, not one. There are none who what? Seek after God. God has been gracious to you if you're here this morning. Without the Lord's grace and mercy, none of us would believe. And, you know, remember back in verse 8, in the same chapter, Romans 11, God gave them a spirit of stupor, the Jews, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day. Anyone who believes in the Lord needs to be, as John writes in his gospel, born not of blood, nor the will of man, nor the will of flesh, but of God. You must be given, is in the same way that we are, have the understanding to interpret and understand the scriptures, you must be given that ability, those eyes to see and those ears to hear. We'll talk about that more later. Um, not moving fast enough for this dinner. Notice the chronology of, or the timeline in verses 25 and 26. Until, so there's times here, parameters, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. There is a last group of Gentiles, or Gentile, a last Gentile. Dan and I talked about that earlier this week. That sounded like some Nicolas Cage movie. The last Gentile. <laughs> <laughs> Tom Cruise. There you go. <laughs> That'd make it even better. <laughs> Gentile impossible. Anyway, there is a set number to God's church that he is building, and the gates of hell will not be able to stop it from being built. Okay? Verse 26, And in this way all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion, and he will banish ungodliness from Jacob. Again, I need humility. You need humility. Here's my shot at this. I think that this is in the future. I think. 
when the last Gentile comes to Christ, or that group of Gentiles comes to Christ, there will be a massive repentance and turning to the Lord in ethnic Israel. Jared said this last week, and I share that same conviction. Could we be wrong about the timing of this? Sure. But I think we can all agree that we should hope for such a thing, right? I hope everybody turns to the Lord, you know? Um, Paul, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. And Romans 9.3, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers and my kinsmen according to the flesh. Regardless of your interpretation of this passage, all of God's beloved people will be saved. He's not going to lose one of them. Jews called by his grace, Gentiles chosen before the foundation of the world, nothing will be able to separate them or us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord, and this is why. Jew or Gentile, we call and desire all men everywhere to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Deliverer will come out of Zion, that Jerusalem, and banish all ungodliness, all sinfulness, and rebellion from his people. Matthew 1.21, she will bear, Mary, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. It's definitive. God will save his people. Verse 27 and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Question that arises over the salvation of Israel. What about God's covenant with Israel, right? Has God rejected the Jews? Romans 3.3, does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means, is the answer. When we are faithless, God what? Remains faithful then what covenant is verse 27 talking about? Go to 28 for a minute. As regards the gospel, they are enemies, the Jews, for your sake, but as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of, their, of the forefathers, their forefathers. So, here it is. We, mostly Gentiles, have been corrected on that before, mostly Gentiles, are being brought in as the people of God due to the disobedience and unfaithfulness of the Jews. I'm going to say that again. Okay? We are being brought in as the people of God due to the disobedience and unfaithfulness of the Jews. Okay? While they appear as enemies to us, because they haven't come to faith in the Lord yet, these Jews, these particular in our passage, are beloved by God. God has not forsaken his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In fact, he's fulfilling it. He promised Abraham in Genesis 12. So quick rundown of some of these promises. He promised Abraham in Genesis 12 that God will make him a great nation and bless him and make him great. Don't forget about this part. He also promised him that through his seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. That's a big promise. He repeats to Isaac in Genesis 26, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and I will give you to your offspring all these lands, and in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. 
He repeats the covenant again to Jacob in Genesis 28. He keeps his promise by liberating Moses and the Israelites out of Egypt. He promised David a throne will be uh, um, a throne that would be established forever. The Gospel of Matthew opens with the words, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. God keeps his promises. He's kept his covenant. The mystery revealed in the new covenant is that even though Israel was disobedient, God is still faithful to them. Because they could not be obedient by the law he is making them and us obedient from the heart. Okay? The letter kills, the spirit brings life. He removes our stony hearts and replaces them with hearts of flesh. So let's look at this new covenant. Go to Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews 8, uh, specifically 7 through 12. And this is quoting a prophecy by uh, Jeremiah. And you guys know this, but let's look at it. I want us to hear the pro promise. <clears throat> 7, starting at 7. Chapter 8. For if that first covenant, the old covenant, had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant. They were disobedient. And I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with those of the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law into their minds and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. They shall not teach each one of his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities. I will be merciful toward their iniquities. And I will remember their sins no more. So this covenant in verse 27 of our passage is the glorious new covenant. Where God regenerates us through the power of the Spirit. Jew or Gentile. Doesn't matter. You have to be given a new heart. You must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. The old covenant was never meant in, a, in, a, in finality, but it was always in God's plan. So uh, Galatians 3.24, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. So to Israel belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. That's Romans 9.5. You've got to look at the whole letter here, and it makes a whole lot more sense when you read it in context and not break it up, right? So do you see the importance of comparing Scripture with Scripture? No, this doesn't stand alone. It's not like somebody just dropped Romans 11 in here and we're supposed to just read it like, okay, what does this mean? Or even if we start from an unclear passage like that and try to move back the other way. We need to start with the clearer passage and then move to the more difficult ones, okay? And regardless of where you get, all of our beliefs should start and move forward from the truth found in the Bible. Verse 29. I like this one. For the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. Amen. Right? 
That's exciting. Amen. Yeah. God's promise to Israel has not been in vain. Okay? And all of the true Israel, those who have received the circumcision of the heart, those who are being obedient from the heart, will be saved. Since we have been discussing the salvation of God's people, these gifts, in verse 29, must be referring to the favor and the blessings like peace, joy, sanctification, and eternal life, etc. Not only does he favor us with the gifts of salvation, but he calls us into that salvation as well, and that calling is also irrevocable. If God sets his love on you, we've already touched on this a little bit, God sets his love on you, and he calls you by his grace, you will come. You will. For who can resist his will? Romans 9, 19. As the psalmist writes, our God is in the heavens and what he does, whatever he pleases. Romans 9, 11. Though they were not yet born, Jacob and Esau, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of work, but because of him who calls. Romans 9.24, even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. You see how it makes more sense as we compare it. Our merciful God calls sinners to himself. Jesus came to call sinners to repentance. Remember, I came not to call the righteous. I came to call sinners to repentance. We went into this in much detail, what we've been talking about in Romans 9. So I'm not going to take us back to Romans 9 and and go through all that again. But I do want you to think about the fact that if God calls someone, then that calling is irrevocable. That's good news. When the Lord sets his love on you, you cannot, you cannot revoke his grace. And you won't want to either. Okay? In the same way, we, and we talked about it from the other side earlier, in the same way that non-believers aren't wanting to believe, in, oh, I just can't, I really want to believe in Jesus, but he hardened me and I can't. In the the same way that that is not the case, there aren't people, true, blood-brought, new heart, new covenant believers out there who are saying, I just don't want to believe this anymore. I don't really want to believe, but God called me, so I guess I will. That's, That's not what's happening. No one who has been born again or born from God or born from above would ever want to cease believing in the Lord. On the contrary, the cry is usually, Lord, give me more faith. Lord, help my unbelief. Verse 30 and 31. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God and now have received mercy... So they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. Paul, speaking to Gentile believers, again reminds them, reminds us, that we too were at a time disobedient. You know, the first epistle, we're talking about Christ church planting and stuff going on. The first book that we went through in Christ church was the letter of the Ephesians. And it's an awesome one. Um, But in, in the second chapter... Uh, verses 1 and 2. And you, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. 
goes on to say, among whom we once lived, such were some of you. Wild olive branch. We were once sons of disobedience, and the Lord has been merciful to us. And now in Romans, we are seeing that because of Israel's disobedience, again, we are receiving God's mercy. Mercy. Mercy to the Christian. To the Christian, it's like the antonym of justice. Okay? Justice would be getting what you deserve. And when it comes to God, I don't think you want justice. Mercy is infinitely better. It's essentially not getting punishment that you deserve. It's grace and mercy working together here. That's, that's why there are so many songs that we sing. You don't sing about God's justice. Oh, God, be just to me. I'm a sinner through and through. No. Um, on the mount of crucifixion, fountains open deep and wide. Through the floodgates of God's mercy flowed a vast and gracious tide. God has given us great mercy. Our sins there are many. His mercy is more. I like this one. Tis mercy all, immense and free, for oh my God, it found out me. That's kind of what we're talking about, isn't it? Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? The Lord desires mercy, not sacrifice. And now God is being merciful to us in the same way that God may show the Jews that same mercy. So this is really neat. Verse 32. For God has consigned, or allowed, sent over, all to disobedience, everyone, that he may have mercy on all. So think, with, think for a moment. Think about some of those life's deeper questions, okay? Why has God allowed such evil in the world? If I were God, I wouldn't do that. A common atheist argument. Why the fall? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why doesn't God save everyone? First of all, the premise is incorrect. Bad things or good things don't or bad things don't happen to good people. That's, that's not correct. Apart from God, people aren't good. We won't desire him. We won't want him unless he has been gracious to us. Here are some better questions, all right? This is, if that was wrong think, this is closer to right think. Why didn't God condemn Adam and Eve when they sinned? Righteousness and justice surround his throne. He is the epitome, epitome of truth and goodness, right? So why didn't he just condemn them then? Why would the just judge allow a sinner to exist? Why would he allow not just a sinner, but a disobedient sinner to exist? Why life after disobedience? Why a covenant with a stiff-necked people with hard hearts? Why does anything good happen to anyone? And, thinking correctly, why has God allowed such evil in the world? Oh God, be merciful to me. I am a sinner through and through, 
And my only hope of righteousness is not in me, but only you. The tax collector, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. This is the point, okay? God has allowed all men to be disobedient so that he can showcase the riches of his mercy on all kinds of men. Not just the Jews, both the Jew and the Gentile. Here's another question, a correct question. So why does God save anyone? Romans 9.22, what if God, desiring to show his wrath and make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, those who do not believe, those who will not believe, in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy? Sounds like God might be telling us something here. Our God is merciful to us because we deserve condemnation. You deserve condemnation. I've heard, I've heard Andy say this, and I can't remember the origin of the quote, but it's, it's so good, and I've got to use it again. The, the only contribution to your salvation is the sin that made it necessary. Is that not true? Our wages have produced what? The wages of sin is what? Death. But we received mercy through Christ Jesus our Lord. Even though, even though we deserve punishment for our sins, God has promised that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. None of us are worthy of this great salvation. Nobody can claim justice. Give me what I want and think they're going to walk into the gates of heaven. So, in Working this whole thing out, tracking this out. Some people say that this is Paul going from 9 to 11. Uh, if, if you want to go from 1 to 11, up to this point, there's a transition in the letter, and I'm, I'm happy with either one. But really, after this discovery of God's great mercy, what else can follow but what is called a doxology? So in the context of everything we've been talking about in the last four weeks, or however long it's been, Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given to him that he may be repaid? Those are great verses, right? I could, I could probably devote an entire sermon series just on those verses right there. So, But this section of doxology, I use that word just so you know, an exclamation of praise, usually in reference to truth, is not here just by random. This is a breaking forth of praise due to this mystery being revealed. No man could have conceived of such a wondrous plan of salvation. Who can measure the wisdom of the Lord? Who can teach him something he doesn't already know? I think we know the answers to those things. Um, these letters that we go through in the New Testament are better understood, as I've been harping on this this entire time, in their entirety. Um, when they would have received one of Paul's letters, they would have read the whole thing. So they wouldn't have been like taking it apart in chunks like we do. Um, I'm glad we do that because I'm a slow learner and I can't retain everything uh, that, that's written at once, but um, the early church receiving this would have read the whole letter. 
So there does, however, appear to be a transition in the thought from Romans 11 to Romans 12. And I think that it's all due to the discovery of this great plan of salvation for God to keep his covenant with Israel and also with all the nations of the earth. Now I'm going to briefly run us through. I know, I don't know what I'm at here, but I'm going to try to make it brief. I'm going to run you through an overview of Romans to this point. Romans 1 opens with the truth that gospel of Jesus Christ has come. It has come out of Israel, this people, the power of God to salvation to the Jew first, and then to the Gentile. Remember what he tells, uh, Jesus tells the woman at the well? You worship, we worship what we know, you worship what you do not know. For salvation is from the Jews. So Jesus was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. Jesus was in the line of David and Abraham. That's a promise kept. God speaks about his wrath being stored up back in Romans 1 about unbelieving Gentiles that commit heinous sins, suppressing the truth in their unrighteousness. Mixed crowd in Romans, by the way, Jews and Gentiles hearing this letter, and the Jews are thinking, oh yeah, let them burn, God. And then chapter 2, he turns to the Jew and tells him that you're just the same. You who judge according to the flesh, are you any different from the heart? God will judge both Jew and Gentile by the same standard, perfection. Chapter 3 speaks of the Jews' advantage of being trusted with the oracles of God, but still being no better off as far to righteousness. There is no one righteous, no, not one. By works of the law, nobody will be justified. But, Romans 3, the righteousness of God has been revealed through the gospel of Jesus by faith. And then Paul begins to hammer this point. The Jew rightly asks, what about the promise made to Abraham? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham was justified by faith. That's the central point here. Every man, chapter 5, Christ dies for sinners and justifies them by faith. Just as death came into the world through Adam, Christ brings life to those who repent and trust in his work. Chapter 6, okay, this is great. So you're telling me I don't have to do anything. What should we say? Should we just sin so that grace may abound? May it never be. No, because we are slaves to righteousness, and God has made us what we've been talking about it, obedient from the heart. The law of the Lord is not burdensome to those who love God. But the wages of sin is still death, regardless of ethnicity, Jew or Gentile, still hammering that point. Chapter 7, but I, I do the things I don't want to do. I still sin, I, and I feel my body is like being torn apart, and I'm, I've got a war against the, the flesh and the spirit, and I don't know what to do. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. Thanks be to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how. And because of that, because God is keeping you, not you keeping him, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, those who are called according to his purpose and grace. Jew and Gentile have received adoption as sons, and there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Remember, the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. 
Paul begins discussing. Chapter 9, things get a little hairy from our point of view. Paul begins discussing Israel and how not all who are descended from Israel are actually Israel, meaning it isn't those who are children of the flesh, but children of the promise ordained to salvation. God has mercy on whom he wills, and he has compassion on whom he will. His ways are higher than our ways. Both Jew and Gentile are receiving the promise of salvation through a righteousness that is by faith, not works. The promise stands that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord in chapter 10, again, will be saved. And those are not against each other. It's not as though God has ordained people to believe and whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord are standing against each other. But it's more like two sides of the same coin. If you call upon the Lord from the heart, he'll save you. But you better believe if you called upon the name of the Lord that he's been gracious toward you. And he's called you. They're not standing against each other. And then finally, we get to Romans 11 where we've been. We see God fulfilling and keeping his covenant promises with Israel and what that means to us as his people. So you, we, should have no arrogance toward Jews that don't believe, but desire the natural olive branches last week to be grafted back into the vine of Christ just as we, the wild olive branches, have been sown in. God has shown us how he will save the children of the promise. When all the Gentiles have come in, all of Israel will come as well. And so what other response to this glorious truth could you have but praise? For who has known the mind of the Lord? His thoughts are not our thoughts, and his ways are infinitely higher than our ways. Who has been his counselor? We sing that, don't we? Who has given counsel to the Lord? Do I need to answer that? No one. Who has given him a gift that he might be repaid? Answer? No one. Can't give somebody something that owns everything. So uh, there's, I gotta tell the cheesy joke. It's not, it's really cheesy. You guys have probably heard it. Uh, so the joke where the man and God are talking and the man tells God, you know, hey, I can make earth or I can make a planet or whatever. And God says, okay, go ahead. And then the guy starts going and digging up some dirt. And God says, hey, go find your own dirt. That's cheesy. That is so cheesy. Um, the point is, you can't give God anything, really, that he doesn't already possess. And this isn't, you know, repaid. This is, is, this, is this talking about my offerings and tithes and things like that? No, it's not talking about your money, I don't believe. I, I, I think it's talking about what you see in the context of the entire letter, Romans chapter 12, next week, where God uh, tells us in verse 1 to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. So yes, money may be... Um, but God isn't just asking for that. He's asking for your whole self. We shouldn't present our entire selves to God because, after all, he owns everything. For from him, last verse, and through him 
and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Cross-reference, Colossians 1, 15, 16. You can write that down if you want. It puts it like this. He, Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Are we getting the point? God owns it all. Everything was made, made by him and for him. So since that, since all things belong to God, then who should receive all the glory? God. He gets all the glory and any credit for anything that we do. Any of the good we do, I should say. For apart from him, again, we can do nothing. And he gets all the glory and honor for the salvation of your soul. God has done this great work. We are his workmanship. We're like jars of clay created in the potter's hand, vessels of his mercy, who get the privilege of calling men and women everywhere to repentance through the gospel. That's a privilege. That's why we sing, what a grace to call him Lord. Jesus Christ has come into the world to give mercy to sinners, and everyone who believes in his name, we'll have everlasting life. The promise remains. God has been faithful. He has finished the work of salvation. Let your weary heart rejoice. He's done it. Now, personal question. Do you believe this news? Do you want to approach God, going back to what we talked about earlier, do you want to approach God and, and receive what you deserve Or do you sing with Augustus Top Lady, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling, rock of ages cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Church, you are a treasured possession. Share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to every tribe, tongue, and nation, to the Jew and to the Gentile in hopes that God will turn them away from their disobedience and grant them repentance. Believe in the Lord Jesus if you haven't already. And if you have, like Jared said earlier, tell other people about it. We should want everybody to know what we have received in this great mercy. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote Charles Wesley again, closing here. My gracious master and my God, assist me, assist us to proclaim, to spread through all the earth abroad the honors of thy name. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the triumphs of his grace. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Let's pray.